Alrighty, welcome back to Brojo Online. Today we're going to talk about prison. We're going to talk about the prison that you're in, and of course we're going to reflect on regal prisons and what the two have in common. We're going to be talking about the difference between safety and freedom, which is another way of saying the difference between rules and responsibility, and how important this concept is to your life. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. Basically, we all live in a prison. Reality itself is a prison, made up of rules and beliefs and perceptions. And how much freedom you have within that prison is something that you can move and change, depending on how you see the world and how you approach life, the actions you take. What's interesting is we have actual prisons too. We have places that we put criminal offenders, and these are essentially a model of the prison that we live in inside our minds, and there's a lot we can learn from this model. I'm going to come back to this a bit later about how we all live in a prison, but first I want to talk about actual prisons. So any of you who have known me for a while know that I have a work history in the Department of Corrections. I've worked with criminal offenders and people on parole, and that required me to go into actual prisons quite often. And so I got to learn what prison really is, at least the New Zealand version of it. And of course, my obsession drove me to watch lots of documentaries on prisons around the world and stuff like that. So I learned a lot about prison, the kind of commonalities that prisons have the world over. As I was doing my work, there was a special type of offender which was a chronic re-offender. Now this is a person who just can't keep their hand out of the cookie jar. They just keep committing crimes no matter what you do. And they seem very undeterred by imprisonment. The idea of going to prison doesn't bother them. And for some of them, they actually seem to prefer it. So there are people out there who deliberately commit crimes for the sole reason of being able to go back to prison. There are people out there who will steal your car or throw a rock through a window or start a fight at a pub primarily just to get themselves put in prison. They prefer being in jail to being out. And there are more of these people than you could believe. Why? Why would someone want to go to prison rather than be free and be out in the real world? I want you to think about that question because it applies to you. Because if you're in a prison, you have to ask yourself... Why do I choose to be in it when I could be free? We often mock criminal offenders who are like this. We think this idiot would rather spend their time in jail than out in the free world with all the freedoms that we enjoy. And we don't realize how hypocritical it is for us to judge them. Because we ourselves live in a prison that we've created that we could leave any time we like, and yet we choose to stay in it. One of the things that all prisons have in common all of them, all around the world. Rules and structure. The reason that prison is so appealing to some people is because it's actually safe. Now, we're going to talk about what the word safety means because it's not what we think it is. But essentially, prison is the safest place you can possibly be because it is the most structured, most rule-driven place that you can go to. Can you understand the appeal 
of never having to make a decision, of never having to solve a problem, of having it all done for you, and you just follow the rules. You've got to understand what safety really means. Safety does not mean without danger. That's what we often imply that it means, and yet when we go towards safety, that's not what we're going towards. We're not going towards a place that has no danger. There are people who feel safe in prison. There are people who feel safe in abusive relationships. There are people who feel safe driving on the road. These are all actually very dangerous places to be. But they have very strong rules, and that's what makes us safe. Or that's what makes us feel safe. Because safety doesn't mean without danger. Safety means known. Unsafe means unknown. We're not afraid of getting hurt. We're afraid of not understanding what's happening and not being able to predict it and not knowing. So when people find prison appealing, it's they find the knowingness of it all. They understand it. When a guy's been in prison more than he's been out, as soon as he walks through those doors, he feels a sense of security, like he knows what he needs to do. He knows how to follow the rules of this place. He knows who he is here. You same guy when he goes out into the real world where you've got to find a place to live and a job and you've got to sort out transport and pay bills and go to the supermarket and cook your own meals and deal with your family. It's just this overwhelming wave of unsolvable problems. And he has no idea what the rules are. He doesn't know what's right or wrong. He's got no one to choose for him. He has to do it all himself. And if he gets it wrong, there's serious consequences. And there's no kind of safety net. It's terrifying. And you know it's terrifying because you're scared of it too, a lot of the time. And that's why you create rules and live in your own prison. You know, there's one guy that we worked with. Is the shortest rehabilitative stint I've ever seen. He left prison. He stole a car from the prison parking lot. Was arrested a few kilometers down the road and returned to prison. I, I think it's got to be the quickest bout of reoffending I've ever heard of. This is a guy who couldn't even be out for more than 10 seconds. Now I want you to just take a second to think, how does this apply to you? What's the prison that you can't leave for even 10 seconds? What are the rules you choose to follow to avoid the chaos of responsibility and decision making? What's the structure and the routine that you stick to because it makes you feel safe, even if it's not good for you? Because you see, we all live in a prison. A self-made prison is made of rules, it's made of laws, it's made of cultural norms, family rituals and habits, following your parents' footsteps, following the advice and pressures from other people, following what the media tells you you should or shouldn't be, doing what's easy rather than what's right following the patterns of your society, and education, and career, and relationships, and family, doing what others do, just because they're doing it. These are all examples of an absence of freedom, where decision-making has been forfeited for ease, for comfort. I mean, this was most of my early life. I remember at some point going to university, I went to university almost right out of school, I think. I can't remember if I took a year off. And I remember going into university, and at some point a few weeks in, I just sort of stopped and went, how did I get here? 
it felt like I was floating in a cloud mentally. It felt like I was floating on a stream, going down the river and just letting the river take me there. Like I hadn't really had a choice in this. I mean, if I look back, I saw myself making decisions like applying for university and doing the interviews and the tests and picking out the papers that I would do and all that. It seemed to be me doing it, but when I got there, I kind of felt like I'd been gently but deceptively pushed there. Like someone else had done it for me and I was just following. I felt like I was holding someone's hand and they were walking in front of me. And there are a lot of people like this. They're in a career simply because someone referred them and they just took that easy option without even really thinking about the job or considering their options for the future. There are people in relationships and friendships just because somebody else initiated and seemed to like them and they weren't unbearable and that was good enough. There are people who are looking at that fleshy fat around their belly going, how did that get there? And yet they don't seem to notice the chocolate and the alcohol and the chips that they shove into their mouth. There's these patterns of behaviour that seem to be rule-bound, structured, routine. We just seem to follow a code that somebody else wrote, and it can create massive life changes for us. It can decide our future, and we let it happen. I think you can see it in the way that we're always trying to permanently solve our problems. Have you noticed that? We seem to be obsessed with reducing our decision making. We want to get to the point where we don't have to think. We find thinking uncomfortable. We find problem solving and new issues to deal with and being in the unknown and being a beginner and being confused. We find that very, very uncomfortable. And we constantly try to kind of hit it out of the park, like get this thing dealt with forever. A great example is somebody buying a house. There are people who buy houses because they genuinely find a place they want to live and so on, but I think the real reason most people buy a house is because they don't want to have to make any more living decisions. As someone who's rented in, oh god, at least a dozen different places over the last 10 years and had to move house like once or twice a year on average, I get it. I get the appeal of not wanting to do that anymore. You know, moving house, finding a new place to live and going through the whole logistical problem of moving, it's a fucking hassle. And it's a hassle every time because it's different every time. There's always new problems to solve. You've got to please the last landlord so you get your bond back. You've got to find a new house. You've got to figure out how you're going to get that couch out of the window. You know, there's a real appeal to going, I want to do this for the last time and never have to do it again. And I think that's what really drives people to want to buy a house not just to rid themselves of the decision-making hassle from moving but also for their brain to have this one place that they call home and to not have to rethink that so there's a real drive an insecure drive in my opinion for people to find one place to live and be done with it and we can see this in people who buy a house and get themselves into monstrous debt very early on in their life like they're just trying to get that over and done with and they don't care how much it costs financially. They don't do their research particularly well. They don't learn about property investing or anything like that. They just want to get it over and done with. One less thing. Living sorted. You can even see it for some people. It's the reason they get married. Sure, they love the person. But are they sure they want to live with them forever? Probably not. What they are sure of is they don't want to date anymore. 
They don't want dating decisions anymore. They don't want to have to try and find someone and get to know them anymore. They just want that done. They want to be able to tick the family box. Finished. No more decisions about my love life. I think that is the greatest explanation for this shockingly high divorce rates. I do believe in marriage. I'm a married man myself. One of the few who is happily married, I think. But I waited a long time to get married, and I'm glad that I did because... A younger me getting married would have been getting married for the wronger reasons. I'm glad I waited because the younger me wouldn't have got married for good reasons. He would have got married just to get it over and done with. Just to not have to try and find a partner and to not have to deal with the problem of being alone or lonely. And I think a lot of people get married for that reason and that's why the marriage doesn't last. Because if you want to get married you have to know you want to be with that person through thick and thin forever. And you have to really get to know someone and go through a lot of tests with them to know that. And most people get married before those tests. The tests come after they get married and it breaks them up. My wife and I went through a lot of hell together before we got married. And that's how I knew she was the one to marry. I can't be guaranteed that we'll last forever, but I knew it doesn't get much better than that. Because it had been tested thoroughly. But I wasn't urgently trying to get over the dating thing. I'd come to a decision in my life, look, I'll be single forever if I have to, because I'd rather be single than not be with the right person. A lot of people, I think, get married because they just don't want to have the problem of being single, and they don't realize how much that drives their decision to make a proposal or to say yes to a proposal. We can see people keeping the same circle of friends that they had in high school. Again, they just don't want to have to learn any more social rules. They want the friend decision-making problem to be done. Forever. They don't actively try to meet new people. They stay in their little clique. You'll notice that when they go out to a pub with their friends, they don't interact with other people, even though they're surrounded by new opportunities. They just talk to the same friends that they came with. You can even see it in the business world if someone goes to a networking event of some kind. They usually just talk to the people they already know or already work with. You know, I remember seeing this when I was um, I went for a Christmas lunch thing for my old workplace, and my team, you know, we were unfamiliar with the other people there. Where there was about eight of us, and, and there was probably about fifty people at this lunch, and my team all immediately gravitated towards a table so that they could all sit together, and there wasn't enough room on the table for anyone else to sit. I'm like, we're surrounded by all these people that we work in the same you know, department, and we've never met them, and you're going to have lunch together? You have lunch together every fucking day. So I went and sat next to somebody I'd never met before, and had a great chat with him, and he turned out to be like the second in command in the whole business. So it was a great connection for me to make. And he was just a cool guy. But I didn't have that desire to be like, you know, I just want the team thing done. This is who I work with. That's over and done with. They were in that kind of prison where they're like, okay, this is safe, I know these people, that'll do. Let's not rock the boat. You can see it everywhere. People eat the same things they always eat at the same time they always eat. They work out the same or not work out the same. They run the same track they always run. Or they keep the same hobbies they've always had without trying anything new. They vote for the same political party regardless of who's in charge. Just these patterns of keeping everything the same and kind of Showing signs that at some point they came to a final decision on this topic and they don't want to talk about it anymore. 
You can even see it in the way some guys would insist on listening to music from 30 years ago because that was their best time and they refuse to change it. They don't even want to know about new music. There's something they find very comforting. Like this is the final band that I'll ever listen to. Some people even won't change their haircut or their facial hair or the way they do their makeup. They found something that worked for them and they don't want to risk it anymore so they just stick with it forever. People live in the same town that they were born in or they find a place they like and they settle down there and don't even travel. There are lots of little examples of people living in a prison that they created for themselves because they don't want to make decisions anymore which means they don't want to be responsible. If something goes wrong when you're in a prison, you get to blame the prison authorities. You get to say, it's their fault, this prison doesn't work properly. Because you literally have no responsibility. You can't decide how the prison works. Now, technically, you could form a group together, like a union, and protest and make some changes, but in prison you got the great excuse of saying, if there's anything wrong in this place, it's somebody else's fault. I'm not the one who makes decisions. And there's something very appealing about that for humans, isn't there? We like to say, I can't help it. It's not my fault. And so when you stick to things, like one partner, one group of friends, one place to live, one job, one house, one diet, what you're really saying is, I don't want to take responsibility for this. I want this to be someone else's problem. See, the brain is not wired for safety as in avoidance of danger. It's wired for safety as in comfort. Comfort meaning knowing. Okay, we're comfortable with what we know and understand, even if it's painful. This is why people stay in abusive relationships. Even when they know it's abusive and they know they could leave, leaving is new and uncomfortable and unfamiliar. Getting your ass kicked twice a week, familiar. You know what's coming, you know how the rules work, you can just follow the rules. It's painful and unpleasant, but they stick with it. And we're all in an abusive relationship sometimes with ourselves. We'll put up with a lot of shit from ourselves to keep things the same, to keep things known. Rule following is what's comfortable. Making up the rules or having to break the rules, that's uncomfortable. And here's the problem. More safety, in other words, more rules, means less freedom. The reason I say prison is the safest place, it's also the least free place you can be. The less decisions you're able to make, the less free you are. Okay, the less options you have, the less free you are. The more options you have, the more free you are. In prison, you have almost no options. You can do what you're told, or you can get tied to a bed until you're going to do what you're told. Right? That's like two options. In the real world, you've got billions of options. You can do almost any type of job, you can live anywhere, you can hang out with anyone, you can eat anything. It's absolute freedom, and it's carnage for some people, just chaos. They can't take that many options. And we've all got that. If any of you remember going to DVD stores before, you know, the internet destroyed everything. I remember I'd spend like an hour trying to pick a DVD if there were six good ones because it's too many choices. It's actually some studies on this, the kind of, the, uh, what's it called? Called the choice dilemma, something like that. But basically the more options you have, the harder it is to choose. So people find that really appealing, that lack of freedom, but 
it means powerlessness. So the brain's wired for comfort, but the brain is also very dissatisfied with being powerless. So it creates a kind of paradox, it gets itself into a situation that it does not enjoy. The more freedom to decide that you sacrifice, the more dissatisfied you're going to become with your life because you start to feel like a slave. Powerless. You know, no responsibility means no autonomy. You're in control, but you don't have power. And it's important to know the difference because comfort and control go together and freedom and power go together. But control is not power. Power is autonomy to make decisions. Control is structure and routine and predictability, but you can have a lot of control without having any freedom. Okay, it's more like an illusion. Everything is controlled, but it's not really you in control. Power is you in control. Power is you decide what's going to happen, or at least you decide what you're going to do. But it isn't controlled. If you're going to live a very free life, you can't expect things to be predictable and comfortable and known you're going to get a lot of random variations of events if i drive a different way to work every day it's going to be a different drive every day i won't be able to predict it or control it but i do have control over myself and i'll feel powerful because i get to choose the way that i drive to work somebody who drives the same way every single day is going to have pretty much the same drive every single day but they will have no sense of power. They will be a slave to that one way of going to work. Things like being dissatisfied with your job, with yourself, cheating on your partner, watching your health decline slowly but surely, being numbed out and distracted with video games and phones and alcohol and bullshit, all of these are symptoms of following rules for too long. This is the cost of being comfortable because being comfortable is like sitting still in a bath of acid you know very diluted acid at first you don't feel anything but it slowly eats you away and you can't see it happening it's so slow that by the time you can see the damage you don't know how the damage got there how did you become dissatisfied with your job after 10 years at what point Did you stop enjoying it? Well, there was no point. It just slowly happened one hour at a time. There was no obvious change. When did you decide to cheat on the partner that you once loved and felt completely loyal to? What point did you change your allegiance? What point did you become bored with them, frustrated and resentful? Well, there was no point. It just slowly happened over time with every decision you made to avoid decision-making. Every time you went on autopilot and took the easy way out and just did what was comfortable, you built up a little bit of that resentment acid and it started to eat away at you. This is how our brains work. You've got to understand that enjoyment of life is not the same as comfort. You can be comfortable in prison, but you will not enjoy it. You can be comfortable in an easygoing job, but you will not enjoy it. You've been comfortable in a relationship with the first person who ever liked you and just married them because it was an easy thing to do, but you will not enjoy it. And once you understand that, you understand how important it is to take a risk and get responsible. You need to start with some self-awareness. Do you know why you do what you do? 
Take a second to think about it. Look at your life, the big areas, health, wealth, relationships, your mission, your hobbies, how you spend your time. Do you know why you're doing those things? Do you remember how you chose to get into them? Or did they just sort of come about? You like slipped into them, and flowed down the stream into them, and now you're here. Do you know why you're here? How you got here? Do you remember making the decisions that brought you to this place? You start with the big things, your job. Why are you in this job? Do you know why? Does it have a strong meaning and purpose? Are you jumping out of bed going, fuck yeah, time to work. I know exactly why I'm going to work today. Or are you just kind of going because you went last week and the week before and the month before that and the year before that? You know, when you walk into a meeting at work, do you know why you're going to that meeting? Do you have a clear direction? Or are you just following the fucking rules? Your relationships, your friendships. Why do you have those people in your life and not the others? Why do you have that partner? Or those friends? Why do you spend time with these people more than those people? Do you know why? Have you consciously decided these are good people to have in my life? There's reciprocal value here. I've tested a lot of people and these are the best ones. And until I meet better ones, I'm going to spend my time with these great people because we have an awesome connection. Or you're just kind of like, well, they're my friends, so I've got to see them more. He's my partner, so I've got to spend time with them more. It's my family. You've got to see family, right? And you're just following the fucking rules again. Your location, where you live. Why do you live there? Now, I don't mean the bullshit story you tell yourself, like, oh, it's a good school district and everything's kind of close. You know, you could find that anywhere. Right? There's a billion places in the world that tick those boxes. But why'd you choose this one? When you could live probably almost anywhere in the country that you're in, and possibly with the right income anywhere in the world, why here? Why not anywhere else? Have you explored everywhere else and come to a conclusion that here is the best one for you? Or are you just here because you've always been here? Or because your partner said you should live there? Or because this is where your friends are? Because this is where your work is? Or this is close to family? You're just here because it's easier than having to make a decision about where is right for you to live. Why are you in these situations? Do you know the answer? If you do, great. But don't confuse knowing the answer with the bullshit story you tell yourself to justify following the rules. Those are two different things. I used to live in Auckland, New Zealand because everybody I knew lived in Auckland, New Zealand. And I'd tell myself a story about how there's lots of resources and everything I know is there and it's close to work. That wasn't a reason. That was a justification for following the rules. The rule being live where everybody else lives. Everywhere I know. Everyone I know, sorry. I now live in the Czech Republic. Now that was a choice. I went there and did a recon mission to see what it was like to live there. I decided I liked it. And every day I'm reassessing it. Not always a big deal, but I'm always thinking, is this still the right place to live? I still check it out. Does it suit me? Does it make life better for me? Do I like it? Right? Not, is this the right place to live according to everybody else? And those are the big things, but you know, where you're really going to notice the rules in your loss of freedom is actually in the tiny things. I had a great conversation with a client the other day. We talked about how we use cutlery, knives and forks when we're eating. 
I had this realization when I was in New Zealand, I ate the standard way that everyone in New Zealand does. You have the fork in the left hand, you have the knife in the right hand, and you have an overhand grip. So the fork's upside down, essentially, while you're eating. It has the curved side out. And that was normal for me. Though it always kind of struck me as weird that I'd be piling up my stuff after cutting it onto the back of my fork. But that's how I ate. My elbows are out to the sides, and that's how I ate. Now I went to America, and people there constantly change hands while they're eating. They've always got the fork in the strong hand, you know. And so they kind of have to mix it back and forth when they're using a knife. And now I went to Czech Republic, and there people hold their utensils like you would hold a pen. They have it on an inside grip. You can keep your elbows in while you eat. Now I used to cut my knife along the back of the fork. I used the back of the fork as kind of like a cutting board. They don't do that. They have the knife, they have the fork facing in, so it acts kind of like a spoon as well. You can scoop up food from the inside and allows you to keep your elbows in so you can sit next to people and eat without bumping into them as you try to cut stuff. And I looked at that and I still find it very difficult to do, but I thought that is such a much more practical way to eat than what I did. And yet, I felt really resistant to changing the way I ate, even though I was looking at a better way of eating. A better way of using utensils. Probably the right way of using them. I didn't want to change it. I felt resistant. Morally. Like their way was wrong. In a moral sense. Not a practical one. I felt this compulsion. And still feel it to follow the rules. The knife and fork rules that I was raised with. Rather than going through the hassle. Of actually relearning how to use cutlery. And that's what I'm doing right now. And it's really fucking hard. Seriously. Trying to. Trying to scoop with the fork with my left hand, it's like I've never used a fork before. I I feel ridiculous. I can't keep anything on it. I get like three grains of rice to my mouth by the time I'm up there. Because it's like starting again. And it's very uncomfortable, and I just feel this drive to go back to the old impractical but known way. How do you use a knife and fork? Is it the most practical way? Is it just the way your parents told you to use it? How would you feel about changing that? Learning again from scratch. What about your morning routine? Do you know why you do it that way? Why you get up at that time and do what you do and eat what you eat and drive that way to work or do whatever it is you do or check your phone? What's the purpose of it? Something small but you repeat it every day and you just follow it. Like somebody else wrote a script and you just follow the script. How do you write your emails and your text messages, the grammar, the style... Are you blunt and abrupt, or do you do long, flowery messages with lots of emojis? Or Why? Why do you write that way, and not some other way? Have you thought about that in, in a while? Have you given it some serious consideration? Does it accurately reflect the way you speak? Most people don't text the way they speak. Very few. Most people, they're all sideways, smiley faces and pony emojis when they write, but when you talk to them in real life, they're kind of dull. Well, they're the opposite, very concise and brutal with their writing, but you talk to them in real life and they're quite compassionate and considerate. Why do you write the way you write? It's in the little things that we really see a lot of these rules that we follow. The way you walk down the street, the way you talk to people, how you purchase things. A lot of it's just designed for ease of use, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we can't be rethinking how we do everything every time we do it. We'd never get anywhere. We need some patterns and some structure, but 
It's important to know why you're sticking with this particular one, especially, like with my knife and fork example, if you're choosing to stick with one that is less effective than another, you're keeping up with one way, even though a better way is available to you. That's a sure sign of the comfort zone problem. Try and stick with what's known, rather than to go with what's better but unknown. When you notice these little rules, and I really recommend if you can to stop this audio at this point and just write out a list of everything you can think of, the little rules and patterns that you follow without really knowing the initial decision to follow them, the the cause. And then ask yourself, who are you really trying to please by behaving in this way? Whose rules are you following? If they're not yours, whose are they? You know, when I went to university, it was my parents' rules. Society's rules. If you do well at school, you keep going to university. I had no idea what university is like. How could I possibly choose to go to university when I have no idea what it's like? That can't have been me. I had no interest in it. I didn't didn't even have a concept of what university was. I just thought it was like more high school, which it totally wasn't. So it wasn't me choosing it. It was somebody else's rules. Now, when I tried, especially in my early teens and uh, 20s, I tried desperately to get a girlfriend. It's not because I actually wanted a long-term partner. I didn't even know what that meant. Just because I wanted to stop being single. It seemed like single was a bad thing. Being with someone was good. Popular guys had girlfriends and the losers didn't. And I thought, well, that's a sign of something. So I just followed that without really reconsidering it at any point. Whose rules are you following? When I talk to my clients, it's often a parent or both parents. You know, I've got one client who's scared to do something sort of wild and kooky for a job, something artistic and creative, because according to her mother, that would be risky and silly, and that real people do real jobs. I've got another client who uh just obsessed with getting a girlfriend. It's not because he actually wants a partner, it's just because he wants his mum to get off his case about being single and not having grandchildren. I've got another client, well actually I've got a lot of clients who are just nice to people all the time, always polite, always nice, always avoiding offensive or controversial conversation topics, but they don't really know why. They know they're scared of confrontation, but they don't know why they're scared of it. Because they know on paper it doesn't really actually hurt to have someone not like you or disagree with you. And yet they compelled to be nice all the time, and that's something I really understand. I felt compelled to be nice all the time and be funny all the time, And I couldn't really remember why I did that. Despite the fact that I could clearly see other people doing things differently and it worked better for them than my way, I insisted on continuing to be falsely nice and entertaining and approval-seeking. So who are you trying to please? Stop for a minute. Think about it. It's probably your parents. Maybe it's your friends or society as some general weird concept. Maybe someone very specific like your boss your partner, or maybe it's just kind of everyone. You just want to follow the rules and kind of fit in and be one of the normals. You're scared of being found out for the weirdo freak that you really are. Why are you following their rules? Are you scared of hurting them? Are you scared of them hurting you? Are you scared of being abandoned and cast out? Or are you scared of just making other people feel uncomfortable? What is it you're scared will happen if these rules are broken to that person whose rules you're following? 
Because you see, what's really happening underneath all of this is a conflicting belief system. It's all about emotions. So we're told to believe that happiness is the goal. And that word is really loaded because it makes it sound like a constant emotional state of pleasure. Constant joy. And the closest we can find to that is comfort. Where there is no discomfort. We call that happiness. And so we seem to think that happiness is contentment. That that's what we should be seeking. We should be seeking to follow whatever rules make us feel content. Without realizing that contentment and happiness are not the same. Being content with who you are and the way your life's going does not mean feeling happy all the time. And feeling happy all the time is not a sign that you've got things right. It's not a sign that you're content. Anybody who's done you know, a weekend binge on ecstasy, as I have occasionally, will tell you that being happy all the time doesn't mean that you're living well. We confuse frustration with suffering. We think if we're frustrated, if things are difficult, if we're confused, struggling with a decision that we're somehow doing something wrong. And that a good life would mean no frustration and no confusion. All problems are solved. So we think we're suffering if we're frustrated. And the truth is, suffering can happen with no frustration. You can be comfortable and not have any problems to solve, and yet suffering and miserable with your life. There's different layers of feeling, isn't there? You can have surface-level emotions, like frustration or happiness. And then there's underneath, there's a deeper level that isn't really emotion. It's more like just a sense of who you are and how your life's going. It's much more long-lasting. Happiness can come and go in seconds, but this deeper feeling is more like weeks and months and years. You're either living life right or you're not. It's a much deeper sense. See, I go through a range of emotions these days. Frustration, happiness, confusion, stress, boredom, joy, calmness. I'll have all of those in a single day, but the underlying deeper sense is contentment. I'm really content with the life that I have and who I am as a person, even during moments of stress and confusion and even outrage. The old me was the opposite. The old me, I felt comfortable and calm most of the time on the surface, but I was fucking miserable about who I was in the deep like core of who I am. I didn't want my life and I didn't want to be me, but I didn't feel that bad on the surface. So it was very confusing. I'm like, I feel comfortable and there's no major problems. Why am I not really happy? It's because happiness is not what we're looking for. We're looking for contentment, meaning. And feeling good does not mean that you've got that sorted. So one of the ways to start looking at this is the difference between surface emotions and deep feelings about who you are. Because if you follow the rules, you'll have pleasurable surface emotions a lot of the time. But that deeper feeling, that sense of you living life right and being who you're supposed to be, will get worse and worse over time. Taking responsibility for your life means painful emotions. Confusion, frustration, stress. But it does not mean being discontented. You know, one of my clients... She talked about being really frustrated working on a creative project, but having no doubt that it was the right thing to do. Even though it was frustrating, she didn't know you know, how it was going to work out. She was really kind of happy with herself doing that. 
And that's what we're talking about. You can be really frustrated doing the right thing. doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. Comfort means pleasurable emotions, but does not mean contentment. Okay. You can be comfortable in prison. You can have a sense of sort of calm and knowingness for long periods of time, but underneath it will be the sense of missing out on life. When you think about it, is a life spent entirely in prison a life well lived? Is that worth being born? To just be locked up in a cage until you die physically? Because you might not be in an actual prison, but if you're in a mind prison, if you're in the comfort prison, it's no different. You're just waiting to die comfortably, sitting in a chair waiting for it to be over, rather than really fucking living. You can feel good on the surface, but be absolutely miserable underneath. You can feel angry or upset on the surface, but be thoroughly enjoying your life overall. It's important not to get those confused. You've got to break the rules to have a good life. You can't do what everyone else is doing. You can't try to please your parents. You can't follow the culture or the church. You have to find your own way and get to a point where you're like, you're making it up as you go along. That's freedom. And it's scary and it's full of failures and rejections and frustrations, but you will feel powerful because you're choosing it. It's not happening to you. You're happening to life. You're a player in the game rather than just a cog in the machine. Long story short, a content life means experiencing the discomfort of breaking rules, patterns, and routines. It means conscious decisions rather than autopilot. It means upsetting people and being weird and disappointing your parents and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if that's going to help you, but I really hope it does. I think this is a core concept. I think most people live in a prison. Well, put it this way. I think we all live in a prison, but how much freedom you have within that prison is entirely up to you. And some of you are living with almost no freedom at all. Your job sucks. Your relationships weren't really chosen. They're just what you put up with. Your body is just what your body is. It's You'll take what you can get. And you're just kind of waiting to die. It doesn't have to be like that. You can start breaking the rules, being weird, being different. Come to Brojo, you'll find other people doing it. And you'll realize actually that's how you enjoy life. You don't fit in. Well, you don't try to stand out. You just try to be you. And it won't have been done by anyone before. So there's no rule book on this. You're going to have to fucking freestyle it. Make it up. I make up what I'm doing every day. It's, it's terrifying. Sometimes. Like, fuck, I have no idea what this particular Tuesday is going to be like. I don't know how to run it. I'm just going to have to fly by the seat of my pants or whatever they say. But I love it. I love being me when I live like this. The old me had everything under control, so it seemed. I had the right job and the right friends and everything was following the plan. And I was fucking miserable. Anxious all the time. Because that's not the way to live. That's just being a robot following programming. There's no point. That's just like being an insect. What's the point of consciousness if you're not going to use it? Right? You might as well just go like, sign up for voluntary comatose and wait until your body gives out. Those are my thoughts, anyway. Hope that helps you. Get in touch if you need some help breaking those rules. Dan at brojo.org I'll see you all next time.